Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you along with John Gastel. His website is his name. It's linked up at coasttocoastam.com. We're talking about his latest book, Dungeon Party. His other book, of course, Gray Matters. We talked with him about several months ago and also Hope for Democracy. We're going to take calls with John next hour. And if you're definitely a gamer, check in with us. There was a scare back in the 80s. Do you remember that one, John? where uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, may have had some things, some messages popped into there. What was that all about? Uh, The Satanic Panic. Aha, that's right. That's right. And it it was, you know, rock and roll music, right? Had had, had the devil worked into the lyrics backwards. And and Dungeons and Dragons was uh, teaching people to cast spells and and dabble in the occult. Uh, That was the charge. People panicked, though. They went crazy. They did a little bit. Um, You know, in fairness, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons absolutely has, you know, devils and witches and and all sorts of spirits and, uh, you know, pantheons from all over the world and from all over history. So it really had all those creepy crawly things in the game, but but it was just a story. Um, But it was pretty scary to people who looked at it and thought, oh, my gosh, this is actually telling people to become, you know, sorcerers uh, and uh, to, you know, maybe play an evil character, right? Uh, that, that, was, uh, that was too much for some people. Does the paranormal kind of ease into a lot of these games? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and, and you know, these games we're talking about, these fantasy role-playing games, come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. There's Dungeons & Dragons, which we're, we were just alluding to, but there's now uh, so many different ones. There's, there's horror-based ones, you know, based in the world of H.P. Lovecraft. There's, there's steampunk. There's, you know, you name it, uh, sci-fi, western, superhero. So Jeez. the paranormal uh, can play a huge role in these worlds. It it just depends on how the world is constructed, right? If that's a normal part of the world that people are playing in, well, then all kinds of freaky and creepy things uh, could happen, uh, and it won't even surprise the characters in the game. They've come a long way since the days of Pong, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it, it, Pong did, you know, threaten to take over the world, that video games would be what gaming became, but instead they just became another way to play games. Because the truth is, we, we like to have lots of different choices when it comes to playing games. So the video games are now incredible, uh, but the tabletop games and the fantasy role-playing games are, are better than ever. Your book, uh, Dungeon Party, should be turned into a movie. Any chances? <laughs> I, I have been contacted. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I do think it would make a fun story. I um, do, too, yeah. And it wouldn't be too expensive to produce, um, but... Uh, uh, you know, the, the, the audio book right now is one of the fun ways of accessing it. And, and the voice of the audio book is actually the voice of, um, of uh, uh, Victor Bavine, who is, uh, has read lots of books by R.A. Salvatore, an author who's written amazing fantasy stories, that, some of which were based uh, in the Forgotten Realms, a part of the Dungeons & Dragons world. So it's fun to have a familiar voice reading Dungeon Party. That was a real treat to get him on board. With these video games, John, what is the demographic generally? Oh, it's incredibly diverse now. I mean, video games, right, have, have become uh, such, uh, such a deep part of our culture that they've even seeped into the sporting world, right? Esports oh, sure. is now a thing at colleges and universities, right? And in the age of Zoom, uh, it's, you know, one of the sports that is relatively robust. 
So it, it's, it's incredible how diverse the uh, player base has become, and that's true of other kinds of games, too, like, uh, like fantasy role-playing and tabletop games, that um, they reach really across different cultural groups, uh, genders and so on, uh, in a way that wasn't always as true uh, back in the 70s and 80s, um, but it's, it's really nice to see the diversity of people who, for instance, show up at a gaming convention. I used to get a kick out of flight simulator, simulators back in the uh, late 80s and 90s, they must be incredible today. Oh, they absolutely like, are. I mean, like you're actually on a plane. They probably move you around, too, in the chair. Well, I mean, it, it says something that, that simulators are used for, for actual training purposes. Um, and uh, the military uses uh, games as well in training. Uh, there are things you can learn and there's things you, you don't. Uh, but it's funny to think that sci-fi used to have, uh, you know, a common theme was that Someone would become an expert at some video game that was actually training for, you know, a real space confrontation, and and now that's 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 real. I mean, you you the skills you learn using an Xbox controller, uh, you may be using that very same controller when you control a drone. So, um, and you may never have visual physical contact with the world. You may experience it all through a, a monitor, not unlike playing a video game. So that's a little scary, but. That has already come to pass. Tell us about the characters you developed for Dungeon Party. Well, the point was to have conflict, right? Every story needs to have conflict. And I want people who aren't just gamers, but people who are curious about gamers, maybe they're married to one, uh, to have different points of view. So the characters give you the perspective of you know, veteran gamers, people who've been doing it a long time and have very strong opinions about how games should be played, and some new gamers, right? Uh, a couple players who don't have as much experience. One in particular is, is just a high school kid um, and uh, you know, is worried about how the game is going to damage her reputation. Uh, that's, that can still be a thing. Um, so all kinds of different perspectives. Uh, they have different professions. Uh, one of them is, a, is a, in medicine, another one's in insurance, which is what I really think some of these games teach you is, is statistical skills um, and so on, uh, that uh, the players really just have different, different lives. And those different lives and, and their different concerns about the world are expressed in the game. Their anxieties come through in the characters they choose to play and how they play them. What have the smartphones done for the gaming industry? Well, they've created a whole other platform for games, haven't they? Yeah, they uh, sure have. Yeah, I mean, you can play uh, amazing games on your phone that uh, previously were inconceivable for video games. Uh, but they can actually be a neat thing to enhance even your experience playing a tabletop game or now playing it on Zoom in that it, 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 it's like the tricorder in Star Trek, right? It's a little handy reference tool. Um, so you may not have to look something up in a book. Uh, you can, you know, you don't even have to bring a set of dice to the table. You can just use your phone to roll the dice for you. So it's fun how it can be an accessory to other games, but it also obviously provides you games right on it. And we were talking before the break, John, about how you can play video games with people who aren't even next to you hundreds and thousands of miles away. Absolutely, and you can actually develop pretty strong relationships with them. One of the things Dungeon Party is about is about the bonds that gamers feel towards each other. And that's just not, not just true of people sitting around a table, though that's incredibly important. It, it also happens with people who commit themselves to online games like uh, Grand Theft Auto or Red Dead Redemption. They'll play for hours on end and make really strong bonds with people who we otherwise might think are complete strangers to them. How big is the gaming industry money-wise? 
Well, it's bigger than the movie industry, right? The opening weekend of It's a, passed of a game. up the movie industry? Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's huge. And that's just video games. So games in general have become an incredibly lucrative industry. Um, and it, it, again, it, it's fun to see, though, that it's not just dominated by big companies. This is especially true of tabletop games, where, again, things like Kickstarter have made it possible for you to come up with a new idea, George, and say, you know what, I want a coast-to-coast insider game, and we're going to explore all the paranormal themes on the show, and that's going to be the game. Well, if you invent it and enough people back you, but you can make your game. And if people enjoy it, they'll play it, and then more people will play it. And that just wasn't true in the past. You really had to go through brokers like agents uh, to get one of the few game companies to consider publishing your game. But uh, that's now broken through, and so the, the creativity that that's unleashed is incredible. Sure, a lot of bad games are out there now as a result, but some spectacular ones are out there now that never would have been published. The radio host gets abducted by aliens and take, beamed up to a spaceship. See? See how easy? Now you're on a roll. You've got the spirit of it. Yeah. That's all it takes. And off you go. That's right. Well, I'm sure your listeners will contribute a lot of ideas to this. Has COVID increased the gaming industry? People are stuck at home. Well, yes and no. Um, there is the experience of gathering your friends over to sit around a table. And in general, that's not a great idea right now. Um, but families uh, that are obviously uh, in a house together now do have uh, an incentive to maybe try a few new things. You know, you've tried that puzzle enough times. It's, let's break out a new board game. So board game sales are robust. Um, and uh, a lot of the, the games that are really geared towards um, uh, diverse ages um, are working really well for families. And you know what? One of, the, one of the very best cooperative board games out there is having a little too much of a moment. It's called Pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the players each play different specialized roles uh, trying to battle the spread of, of, of disease outbreaks around the world. And uh, Did that come before or after COVID? That uh, came long before. In fact, the Centers for Disease Control actually gave some input to the game itself. It's oh. a very well-conceived game. It's, it's a very easy game to learn, but you can set the level of difficulty. Uh, but the point is that it's cooperative, that your family can sit around the table and you know, have the different role specialists each play their part in potentially thwarting the spread of some terrible disease. And, and there's other games like that. But the whole idea of a cooperative game, I think, turns the idea of competitive gaming on its head and says, you know, if the point is to have fun, there's more than one way to have fun. We're going to take calls with John Gastel next hour. And if you're into gaming as well, check in with us. Tell us what, are, what it's like. What are your favorite games? And uh, how many different titles are out there? There must be thousands, I guess, John. Absolutely. And I, you know what I'm really looking forward to is callers are going to tell us uh, the roles that games have played in their lives. That'll be fun to hear. I mean, do they take this stuff seriously? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this can, you know, think about it. Some of the people who really commit themselves to these games, sometimes they're trying to find something that they have as their identity. You know, the Coast to Coast Insider is partly about being an insider, right? Sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, some, for some people, the games are what provide them that, and they know things that other people don't know. They have something very special that's near and dear to them, and when they get together with other people who play the game, it's like nothing else in their lives. If you're a parent and your child is playing games all the time, should you be concerned? 
Well, it's never really all the time, right? I, I, I would say it's a question of, of how they're playing the game and, and what they're getting out of the game. My mom, bless her heart, uh, she said to me one day, you know what, you and your friends can play video games as much as you want, as long as it's one that you made. And huh. I swear, I wrote the worst version of a popular arcade game at the time. And, and we just played that thing to death on my little computer. But, you know, obviously I had to learn how to code it. So I wrote the code, wrote the terrible game, and we played it endlessly. Um, you know, that did not upset mom. Um, and I, I think games like these fantasy role-playing games... I, they're teaching you incredible things, vocabulary, mathematics, uh, science, art. Um, all these things get rolled into the game. And so when I see people playing a game that is challenging them and teaching them things and they don't even realize it, knock yourself out. Just you know, Make sure you get decent grades, but have fun with your game. I worry more about people who play games that are incredibly repetitive and not very social. Um, and that starts to look a little more compulsive and less... Uh, sort of enriching. John, whenever we hear these tragedies of school shootings, and thank God we haven't had one in a while, but uh, one of the first things that always comes up, video games, video games, that's what people say. Is it conceivable that video games contribute to creating that mindset in someone who does that? Well, the evidence isn't out there. I mean, it's been studied to death. And uh, video games just don't really have a, a, a robust effect on aggression and things like that. Uh, it's, it's really like so many things in our lives, right? It, people do things for very different reasons, and they get very different things out of them. Part of what the novel Dungeon Party is about is about how the very same game that all these different people are playing is having really different effects on them. Uh, for some people, it's very uplifting. For some, it's therapeutic. Uh, but for some, it, it kind of it indulges maybe a darker part of their personality. But was it really the game <laughs> or was it the person? And that's, that's the way they found to express themselves. And for some people, expressing that maybe darker part of their personality through the game is frankly good for society because it's a perfectly harmless place for that expression to take, to take place. And it doesn't have to happen on the high school campus. Were you writing Dungeon Party when you were writing Gray Matters? Because it came out pretty darn fast. <laughs> well, I, I, I've been working on novels for several years, and I, I made a commitment to myself that I wouldn't publish these books until a publisher thought they were ready to go. And as it happened, uh, John Hunt Publishing uh, wanted them both. Uh, and uh, the, you know, Dungeon Party was the, the one they were most excited about, but when they saw Gray Matters, they thought, you know what, we've got to get that out during the 2020 election. So it came out first, and then they thought it was funny that Dungeon Party would come out basically on Halloween. Um, so it has been a little strange having two novels this year, but hey, if I'm on coast to coast talking about them, something must be uh, something's working, right working for you. Absolutely. How much research did you have to do for Dungeon Party, or did you already have a lot of that knowledge? You know, I had a lot of firsthand experience playing these games at different ages in my life. So when I was writing the high school character, I was thinking about that experience. When I wrote about the adults playing the game, I was thinking about uh, playing with you know contemporaries. Um, and at the same time, I found I, I did want to read. I wanted to read more about games and about gaming and get back into the source material of, of different fantasy role-playing games. And uh, that was actually really fun. I, I, and I was, I was frankly surprised to see how these games had, had really had a resurgence. You know, people, George, now will not only just play this game, 
but they'll just listen to podcasts for hours of other people playing the game. They'll, they'll watch TV shows or, or, or Twitch feeds of, of people just playing. And that's true not just for video games, but also for tabletop games. So there are so many different ways now to experience these games. You can even become a professional uh, game master. You can host games for people and they'll pay you to do it. Uh, again, the really? world is so interconnected now that these games aren't just happening in somebody's basement. They're, they're kind of happening all over the world, in some cases in many countries at once, a single game. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.